Whitehead drives to the hole, hangs, and what? Isaiah Whitehead ties it up at 67. Outlet pass, Archidiakono, front court, slips, fires, and that's it. The Seton Hall Pirates defeat Villanova. 69-67, and for the first time in 23 years, their Big East Tournament champion. For the latest in Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics, this is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Miles Powell gives Seton Hall the lead with 1.1 second to go. What a shot by Miles Powell. Thompson shows it. Kale steps back, lets it fly. Pyong! Miles Kale, 84-83. And Seton Hall knocks off the number nine team in the nation. 84-83. What a win for the Pirates. This weekly podcast will recap every men's basketball game throughout the Pirates season. Pow! From Trenton, what Trenton makes, the world takes. With special guests along the way, Courtside Pirates will dive into the Pirates season after every game, giving you my thoughts and opinions as Seton Hall looks to return to the NCAA tournament. McKnight will inbound, pow, they throw it up the mama, and at the buzzer, oh my goodness. This is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Welcome and thank you for listening. My name is Chris Pazes and on this episode of Courtside Pirates, we are joined by Jerry Carino, the pride of New Jersey basketball and columnist for the Asbury Park Press and Gannett, New Jersey. Jerry joins to discuss the 2020-2021 Seno men's basketball regular season, the upcoming Big East tournament, and hopes to return to the NCAA tournament. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and follow along on Twitter at Pazis, that is at P-A-I-Z-I-S, for updates and new episode announcements. Above all, I would love to hear from you. Send over some questions on Twitter that could be answered on the next episode. And now, enjoy this in-depth interview with Jerry Carino. Joining me now to discuss the conclusion of the Seen Hall basketball regular season and preview the 2021 Big East tournament is none other than the pride of New Jersey basketball, Jerry Carino. Jerry has covered the New Jersey sports scene since 1996 and college basketball beat since 2003. He's an Associated Press top 25 voter and currently a college basketball writer and news columnist for the Asbury Park Press and Gannett, New Jersey. In his spare time, if he even has some, and I'm not sure if he actually does, he's an adjunct professor at Keene University and host on a Jersey Jump Shot podcast. Jerry Carino, welcome to Courtside Pirates. Thanks for having me on. It's March. It's our time of year, Chris. That's absolutely right. And, you know, this is certainly going to be a crazy month, uh, to say the least. Very different than what fans have seen in the past. And I want to start off by giving listeners a sense of how the pandemic has affected you from doing your job. And what access have you had all season to Rutgers and Seton Hall? And how will that look like in the Big East tournament? So it it really stinks. I mean, that's the short answer. It's completely turned upside down. I'm not complaining because, you know, I understand why access is the way it is. You know, they have to co- they have to keep these athletes face-to-face interactions minimal. Um, 
I haven't seen, I never saw Seton Hall practice this year at all. And, uh, you know, I went to two games. I went to the Villanova game and the UConn game, the home games. But uh, for the most part, I've done, just watched them on TV like everybody else. And then we have, after home games, we have, you know, a Zoom with, with Kevin Willard and a, and a couple players. And uh, we, got, we also got them at Connecticut afterwards and at Villanova. But it's not the same. I mean, you, ha- you know, everybody's on the same Zoom. Uh, you don't get a chance to sit down and look someone in the eye. And there's no in- one-on-one conversations. It's just kind of uncomfortable. Uh, it's just not, it's not the way the job was meant to be done. I think it's really impacted the quality of my work. And I'm not complaining. I don't have any better ideas. But uh, it's, it's really been suboptimal. You know, I, have, I saw Rutgers practice once. They had us to one practice. And I went to the rack one time to watch the game live. And otherwise, it's been more or less the same thing with Rutgers. And at the, at the Garden, it's going to be the same thing. And in the end, you know, for the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament, it's going to be the same thing. So we're going to have no face-to-face interactions. And like, I don't, I don't know Bryce Aiken at all. I don't know him at all. I mean, I, I, you know, I know Miles Kale and Sandro and I know Shavar Reynolds because I sat across from them at a table or in a bleachers after practice for years and looked him in the eye and we talked like human beings. Like, my only interactions with Bryce Aiken have been in these awkward Zooms, you know, mostly with other reporters involved. There's only been a couple of them. So it stinks. You don't, you don't get to know somebody and it's hard to do anything unique or different in that setting. So and I feel like it's, you know, our work has suffered as a result. Well, I give you credit and everyone that is dealing with this because I know it cannot be easy. I hope you know that Pirate fans are certainly happy with what you've been doing and the coverage you are able to give, but I I get where you're coming from with that. It's a very awkward situation to have to be in, but looking at what the Pirates started in February, they were red hot with wins at Providence and UConn and home versus Marquette and DePaul, and then it felt like the season took a, a 180. They uncharacteristically gave up 81 points in a loss on the road to Georgetown and followed that by zero offensive outputs on the road against Butler and on senior night against UConn. And then the game against St. John's was completely honest. It was an utter meltdown right. uh, after starting that game 18-0. In your opinion, what has caused this terrible end to the regular season? This is the big question, right? So everyone's asking this question. I don't really fully know the answer. When, when, when Seton Hall you know, collapsed in 2015, Chris, we all knew what was going on. People were not getting along uh, in the locker room. And I don't believe that's the case here. You know, these, I think these guys all like each other. There's no evidence they don't like each other. They're not on the same page. They're a bunch of good guys who've bonded over the years. Uh, my only answer would be they just seem to be having a crisis of confidence, you know, and it snowballs when things don't go their way in games and the shots don't fall and the play gets sloppy and the teamwork breaks down. So, I mean, that's, that's the only thing I could say is that this, this, they seem to be in a mental funk. This team is more talented than it's played over the last month. You know, it's, they played well there for a while. I mean, they played really well at UConn. They played really well in the second half of Providence. They look good in, in you know, beating St. John's uh, the first time around, you know, and handling Georgetown without much sweat the first time around. They, winning big at Xavier, they, they look good in these games and they, they, it's the same personnel. I mean, they missed Aiken for a while. He's, he's back now. In the big picture, his inability to take the reins of point guard full-time has, has held the team back. You know, we all said in the summer, or in, when he's committed in the spring, that this was the piece that now made them an NCAA tournament team, and he hasn't been really played at all, hardly, 
So, like, that's in the big picture that has impacted them. But they did a lot of – they played well without him for a while or with him in a limited role. I mean, he barely played in that game where they had Villanova, you know, tied with one second left down in the pavilion. So, uh, I think it's more than that. I think they've, 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 they lack confidence. I feel like if they could just win one game, that it might change. But, you know, they're running out of time, and there's really just one shot left to do that. You know, Jared, you bring up a good point, and I was going to touch on this as well. I can't help but think about 2015 because that's really the last time the Pirates have kind of been in this type of situation. But that is, there was a very key differences with that team's chemistry versus what I think is this team's chemistry. I just chalk up their recent struggles to the lack of production from the second unit and also not having that 2016 Derek Gordon in the locker room. Is there anything that can be done? Is there someone that needs to step up to get the Pirates back on track? Well, you can't change who you are. So I think it's a little late for that. I mean, they can't just change who you are, you know, with 95% of the season finished. So that locker room leadership part is not coming. I mean, that's they're who they are with that. Uh, but the first part, the bench, yes, that you're onto something there. The bench has been really bad, you know, and I don't, I don't like to call out players by name. This is college players, you know, they're amateurs. I don't do that on my Twitter account. I don't want to do that here. But everybody knows they're not getting enough from their bench. Now, you know, the, the, the defensive play drops off when the bench comes in. The, the offensive production is minimal. St. John's doubled, the, doubled their bench, and that was with Aiken getting a couple of late points in garbage time when the game was decided. I do feel like if Aiken would just catch on, I don't know if he will. It might be too late. I don't know what his knee is, what he's feeling inside with his knee. Um, he does have two games under his belt now, and he did play better against St. John's than he did against UConn, right? If he if he could catch on, then they have one, and maybe he'll start, I don't know, on against St. John's Wednesday, but if he could just catch fire, because the guy is good. Like, seeing all fans who didn't see him play at Harvard are probably like, well, this guy's just not that good. Well, he is good. He is good. He just hasn't, for various reasons, the main one being in the physical state, he hasn't been able to catch, get, a, get, get into a groove and catch on. So... If he could catch on, that will give them a sixth guy that will help. Uh, but it's been a big problem. Like when they've had these leads in games, look at the games. Look at the last three games. They jumped out to an 11-4 lead at Butler, led the game at halftime, and then you know, collapsed. UConn, they jump out to a nine-point lead. You know, led the game by led by eight with, I don't know, two or three minutes left in the half, and then collapsed. St. John's, they led by 18, and they led by 10 at the half collapsed that's the bench that's not how getting any that's being exhausted at the end so i think that's common denominator in what's happened and i think about the bench players because there's a lot of guys on the team overall on the bench that i really like as players i just think for various reasons they've struggled and looking at someone like the Kyle molson who i thought started the year very aggressively and i really like what i've seen with him uh throughout different spurts lately though he just hasn't been able to get either the minutes or the time consistently to do that uh Looking more to next year with Takah, what can we expect from him overall? So I, one thing I think happened here in the big picture, this happened with Rutgers too, and I said this in the spring, is that the lack of a real offseason really hurt the coaches who thrive on player development. And so that's Kevin Willard's calling card, right? He, he's, he's won because he's developed these, his guys into better players than maybe people thought they were. A lot of that work goes on in the spring and early summer, one-on-one, individually. That's Kevin's strength as a coach. That got wiped out this year. 
Same thing with Steve Peichel. He's a player development guy that got wiped out. So yeah, Rutgers is going to the NCAA tournament, but they've also underachieved. I mean, they were picked to finish fifth in the Big Ten and ranked 24th in the preseason top 25. They're sneaking into the NCAA tournament. So I think both of these coaches have have really have their their teams have suffered because they haven't been able to play their to play their big calling card because of the pandemic wiped out those months. Uh, to me, the guy like Molson, that's kind of what happened. Kevin's very good at, at helping players shoot. A lot of players have shot the ball much better under him over time. You know, Kadeen Carrington is a, is a good example. Um, but there's a long list of guys who shot have improved under, under Kevin. And he hasn't had the time to, to work with to call in the summer to improve his shot. So what you're seeing is guy who shot didn't get any better. Um, and, you know, I suspect that might be what happened with Tyree Samuel too, as far as him knowing where to be on defense, et cetera. Um, you know, the IQ stuff that seems to be missing. I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of one-on-one time in the off season. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was actually going to bring up about Tyree Samuel. So I'm glad you did already. Cause I think he's got the potential to be a fantastic player for four years at Seton Hall overall by the end of his college career. But I think for him, his defense and his basketball IQ on the court right now is just not there. And I think that comes with like the time that you mentioned someone else on the, on, on the bench that I think really was affected by the pandemic and coach Willard alluded to it at the very beginning of the season was Jahari Long. And he just said it really affected him being in the lockdown and on the program pause. And even with Aiken's injuries, he hasn't really had those big flashes of minutes and opportunities that you would think that he would have gotten. And I've had people ask me, and I don't have the answer to it, is is Jahari Long the point guard of the future for the Pirates? Well, well first thing I would say is you can never tell with freshmen. It's very hard to project. You know, people thought Donald Copeland was never going to amount to anything. When they looked at him his first two years here, he became a second-team All-Big East point guard and led Seton Hall to an NCAA tournament. Uh, Ish, Ish, Ishmael Sanago, Sanogo, he, he didn't play. He played like 10 minutes as a freshman. People thought he was going to amount to nothing. He wound up being a cornerstone piece to some really good teams. He helped them win a Big East championship. So you, you don't know really. There is this a, a lot of instances where freshmen develop into quality producers. So I'm not going to project what Jahari Long is or isn't going to be. What I do think happened to him this year was, again, and you see this a lot, the lack of a non-conference schedule really hurt freshman development everywhere. Go, let's go back to Rutgers, the other team I pay really close attention to. Rutgers has a four-man freshman class. Three of the guys don't play at all, not a lick. And Cliff Omarui, you know, he's been hurt, let's be honest, Cliff Omarui has really not performed up to expectations this year. He's helped them as an eighth guy, you know, filling in, you know, filling the paint, paint presence, but he hasn't been what they expected to be a high impact guy. And I don't think that's his fault. These guys, these freshmen had no non-conference schedule. They had no preseason. They had no scrimmages. They had no exhibitions. Uh, they had no development time. So that's where you learn and you get in the flow and gain some confidence you know, you have this 10, 11, 12 game non-conference schedule and it just didn't happen this year. It was like six games. It was very, very, you know, uh, scattered how the games were scheduled. Rutgers had four games. If you look around the country, there are not a whole lot of freshmen. There are some studs who are having impacts, but there's a lot of freshmen who are, could have been contributors who weren't because they didn't get any time. And that's what's happened here with Long. Aiko Biagu, personally, I felt, has played exactly how I would have imagined him to have before the season started. I think there's a lot of parallels with him and Gil, both of their junior years. Uh, and looking at next season with Ike, and also for the Big East tournament, 
he's going to have to be a crucial person in terms of developing to that next level for the Pirates to succeed. And what can Coach Willard do in this tournament against St. John's and potentially Villanova or Georgetown or wherever they end up playing to make them uncomfortable down low and have to defend Ike? So the big thing, you know, with, with Ike is he's very matchup dependent, right? He d- depends on the way the team plays and what their personnel is. And with a team plays with the five out type system, like Creighton and Villanova, you know, it's impossible for him to be on the floor because he can't, he can't be roaming the perimeter guarding people. But St. John's is an interesting case because in a, in a way, yeah, they play up and down and, you know, they don't really have a big, uh, so that would seem to not be a good matchup for him. But on the other hand, they also rely on scoring at the rim a lot. Now they shot the ball well from the perimeter in, in Carneseca the second half of the season. And they really did that on Saturday. Will that be the same in the garden? They haven't played in the garden this year. So it's not really a home court for them right now in name only. Uh, you wonder if St. John's three point shot isn't falling, will they'll have to score at the rim. And then Ike could be a huge factor. He did play really well in that first half, but just, you know, I think he wears out because of the way St. John's plays. So I think use used usefully if St. John's three isn't falling, he can really be a big help. It's also going to be important to get him some rest. You know, he can't play 30-plus minutes. He's 270 pounds. So they have to give him some rest, and that's where, you know, Tyree Samuel has to hold down, hold up his end of the bargain defensively when he comes in for Ike. So Ike will have his uses, especially if St. John's is cold from the perimeter on, on uh, Thursday. I have very high expectations for Jared Roden next season. I've been a big fan of his since really his breakout game and back in his freshman year in the Big East tournament. I just thought he was a sensational player to watch, and I think he's got that grit and hustle that is a Kevin Willard-type guy. And I think that he has a chance to be an All-Big East candidate when the season ends next year. But you currently uh, mentioned on your Twitter account that you have him as a Big East third-team selection possibly by the end of the year. And how impressed have you been with his development as a player? Because we've talked already about the development of some of these guys being prohibited, but he's really taken that next step in a lot of ways. But what else does he need to do to continue to evolve his game? He's played well. I think he's kind of, he's hit a little bit of a wall down the stretch in some of these games. Maybe he's being asked to do a lot. So he's, he's good. Jared's tough. He's a grinder. He's got a versatile skill set. He's not a good three point shooter and he probably takes too many threes. Uh, but yes, he's, he's been their second best player this year. Uh, but the, I can't really project to next year because some some guys are really good as Batman, as Robin, but they can't be Batman. And is he one of those guys? We're not going to know until he's in that situation next year. So, you know, he will be the main player next year. Can he handle that? I mean, there's, there's a lot that comes with being the top of the scouting report. Look at what Sandro has to deal with each game. The, today, I think some people were surprised that he was unanimous, all Big East selection. I'm not really that surprised because – that's the, that's the Big East coaches telling you how impressed they were with what he produced, considering that everybody threw the kitchen sink at him. And this changes the game when teams do that to you. That's the kind of attention Roden's going to probably get next year. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to translate. You never know until you see it. He certainly is an asset to any program. He's got a great attitude, and he's tough, and he's got a nice skill set. And again, I think with another year of development, he could blossom into a top-of-the-marquee guy it's hard to say if he can make that next step or not right now. And I think that's fair. And someone I think like Sandro Mamoukalajuli, I think people have had a lot of high praise for him, but they've also been very uh, critical of what he's done this year, just because the expectation was for him to do it night in and night out 
no different than Miles Powell did it last year. And I think it's hard to compare the two because they're just two totally different players. But that's the comparison that a lot of people are making down the stretch in these games where you're not seeing Mamu being that dominating force. Do you feel that teams are really just doing everything they can to just make sure they don't get beat by him? Yeah, he gets every time he gets the ball, he gets doubled. You know, and they double him at the perimeter and cut off that drive, which changes everything. Because when he drives, he's, he's dominant because he can finish at the rim. He can get fouled and make foul shots where he can draw and dish. And uh, that's a real problem when he can't get to the rim. So teams are just, just doubling, leaving other guys who they don't have to worry about, you know, scoring, seeing all some guys who can't hit a shot or who can't, you know, who have trouble finishing around the rim or can't catch a pass. And they're doing that, and, and, and Mamu's he's getting stuck. He's getting worn down. So no one can expect him to be Miles Powell. Miles Powell is a singular player. He's a first-team All-American and if, you, if we fall into that trap, and maybe I do too sometimes, that's just not fair. What the Big East coaches told you today was that, you know, as one of only two unanimous first-team all Big East selections, was that they really respect the job that he's done under the conditions he's had to work under. And if, if he wasn't there, Seton Hall would have far, far fewer than 10 wins. He's done a lot for them. So I do think he's going to have to find a little extra, though, to get this team over the top if they're going to do anything in the Big East tournament or with the remainder of the season. And can he do that? I mean, we'll see. Either way, he's had a great career, and he's going to have a nice pro career. But you'd like to see him find a little extra and finish off one of these games down the stretch. Well, I can tell you right now, I think the Pirates can certainly use some Kemba Walker magic with Mamu in the Big East tournament. Uh, they, they need to have him get something going. And uh, it's, it's, it's tough right now. And I think someone that has really surprised me the most this year, though, is Miles Kale. I think he has really stepped up on his offense and just as a, as a leader as a whole and being more vocal with the team. And where did this come from? And with, even with the team's recent struggles and the lack of scoring overall, what can he do to get this team going again? Well, he's matured. You know, he's, he's really, like, he'll be the first to tell you he's matured as a guy, uh, as a man. You know, he's become a man. He was a boy and he's become a man. And that happens. It's one of the joys of college athletics. But Kale's biggest contribution to the team is defense and 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 locking down the other team's best player. He did a great job against Booknight of Connecticut. I mean, that, that, you know, that was not Miles Kale's fault that they lost that game. I mean, he he did everything he could to slow down Booknight, and other guys inside wound up beating Seton Hall for UConn. Uh, he did not play well against St. John's. So they're going to need him to play better. It's the same, it's the same matchup. They're going to need him to play better against St. John's. But what he's got to do is he's got to hit some threes. Like, that's his game, right? His game is D, is D and three. And, you know, you're going to expect him to play pretty good D, but he's got to hit some threes. It just makes Mamu's life a million times easier and take some pressure off the guards if he hits some threes. So he's capable of it. I mean, he's a pretty good career three-point shooter, but he seems to be having the crisis of confidence that he's, a lot of his teammates are. So he really, what they need from him is a hot three-point shooting game. And, and finally, on the team perspective by the players, Shavar Reynolds, who you have proudly called the pride of Manchester for a while now, mm-hmm. is closing out what is really an incredible journey to senior year, in all, in all fairness. And you have covered Seno basketball and New Jersey basketball for a long time now. Have you seen any other walk-ons have a career like he has had? No, he's, the, he's Seno's best walk-on in the Big East era by a, a mile. And I don't know, the 70s, the 60s is before my time. Things were different then. But in the Big East era, 1980 onward, he's he's by far been the been the most fabled walk-on story that they've had. Uh, a tremendous career, 
just a testament to what college sports is all about. And, you know, he was thrust into a role this year that was a lot to ask. When, when Bryce Aiken came in and couldn't play and was, was hurt several times, you know, just a ton was put on the guy's shoulders. I think he's handled it admirably. You know, he's been, he's been probably the third best player on the team this year. Um, but it's a lot to ask. And I think if he was in a true platoon or timeshare situation, it would be a lot easier for him. But when you step back and you think of what Shavar Reynolds has given this program over the years, I mean, the, 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 the three-pointer that beat St. John's, you know, his one-on-one defense against Marcus Howard in the Big East tournament semifinal on the final play, forcing Howard to short-armor three-pointer after he was left on an island with him. Uh, just the, the great role he played on last year's team, giving you defense and hustle plays and hitting open threes and hitting his free throws on the, the great team they had last year. And even this year, big shots against Penn State and Marquette early on. Uh, when you think about what he's done compared to what he was when he came in, it's really been an incredible story. And I hope that's what people remember most about him. Uh, and I think, you know, this story might not be done. I think out of all the seniors, it's probably the best chance that he returns for a fifth year and really takes on a mentoring role with this good freshman class we all expect the Pirates to have. Joining me on Courtside Pirates is the one and only Jerry Carino. And Jerry, looking ahead to the Big East tournament, the Pirates are the number five seed and will need to forget about Saturday quickly as they face St. John's once again with the winner facing Villanova or Georgetown or Marquette. How many wins do the Pirates need in the Big East tournament to return to the NCAA tournament? Is it championship or bust? No, it's a little bit of a trick question, okay? Because so for starters, they have to beat St. John's. And I don't know, you know, you have to consider St. John's a solid favorite after what you saw the other night. So if they beat St. John's, it's a, it's a, it's a quad two, high quad two win. And then, I mean, ideally you get Villanova, right? And you get a crack at Villanova without, with, with on the third string point guard. Ideally you don't want, you don't want a Georgetown or somebody to come in and upset Villanova in the quarters, which could happen because then, you know, you're getting, you're getting less, you're getting lesser win in the semifinals. Like the, the net is going to be blind. If they beat Villanova, even though Villanova's wounded, it's going to be a, a major quad one win. So to me, if they beat St. John's and they beat Villanova, they will be, they will move into the bracket. Now, do they stay there over the final crazy two days with bid stealing and whatnot? I don't know, but it's, it's possible that two wins, if one of them is, you know, if they get St. John's, if they beat Villanova, a wounded Villanova team, I think that could get them in. But let's see if they can win one game first. But like to answer your question, it's very possible that they could get in with two wins. But again, how about we get 40 minutes out of this team? But yeah, I don't think they have to necessarily win the Big East tournament, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was alluding to, too. Is, is, it, is it championship or bust? And clearly you feel that there's a chance that they do that. But again, they got to play for the first 40 minutes strong against St. John's and put together a complete game and get a win there. And while the Pirates certainly need to take care of their own business on the court and get some wins, there are certainly teams in, on the bubble that can burst Seton Hall's chances as well. Who are some teams that the Pirates need to look out for in, in the coming weeks? Yeah, I don't I mean, there's a couple of Big Ten teams that might be on the fringe. Uh, you know, Drake just finished this, this season today, so that they can't really do anything. It's more. It's a question more of I think bid stealing, bid stealers right now than bubble teams, um, but you know I, I kind of stopped w- watching that stuff, Chris, because to me Seton Hall has controlled their destiny the whole time, right? 
the bubble's been bad. A lot of these bubble teams have been losing, and like Duke is Duke has been imploding too. So to me, it's about what Seton Hall controlling their destiny and, and winning a game and then getting a crack at, a, at a, another big win. Uh, I wouldn't worry so much about what you know if if they beat St. John's and then they win another game somehow, then we could talk about what needs to happen with other teams. But it's to me, it's about Seton Hall getting its house in order. Perfect way to describe it. I completely agree with you. Uh, I think there's definitely the work is coming from them and them alone in a lot of ways. And I think people worry about too much what other teams are doing when at the reality is Seton Hall needs to take care of their own business. And this year's seniors, uh, as everyone knows, are eligible for eligibility to play again next season. And mom was a lock to leave. But guys like Kale, Reynolds, and Aiken, they could benefit from playing another year in college. And none of them have ruled it out completely. Do you think there's a possibility that some of the players on this current team come back? I know you mentioned Shavar Reynolds, but what about guys like Kale and Aiken? Here's what I tell everybody. Uh, same with Rutgers fans who have been asking me this all year. I would assume you should assume that no one's coming back mm-hmm. and then be pleasantly surprised if people do. Because at some point, you know, if you're going to, if you want to make money playing basketball overseas, G League, whatever, if you want to make money playing basketball, there's a limited window, a limited number of years where you can do that. And that window is going to, is, is, goes, it goes, closes fast. So you're talking about guys who are 22, 23 years old. They're going to, if they come back another year, they're giving up one, of the, one year in that window. Now, I'm not talking about making the NBA. The realistic thing is only Mama was going to chance to make the NBA. So he's going to leave and he should. He'll make a lot of money next year somewhere. But the other guys have to weigh, do I want to start making money playing basketball now? Do I want to take a year off of my you know, window, which might only be five to seven years to make money playing basketball? Um, do I want to come back for another year of college? You know, they're going to all graduate. So it's not a matter of getting a degree. And the other fact, thing to factor in is they, these guys have not had a very good experience this year. They haven't, they, these campuses haven't been college campuses. They've been isolated. They've been waking up at 6 a.m. to get swabs up their nose. You know, they're not allowed to see anybody, girlfriends, family, friends, parties. There's none of that. The college experience has been wiped out for these guys. So I can see, I just, to me, I see a lot of them not wanting, and I'm speaking generally now. I can see why a lot of them would not want to come back and will want to get on with their lives. And there might be exceptions like Reynolds might be an exception. Um, but I think those will be the exceptions. And I would not, I would not expect anyone else to come back. I mean, Kale might be 50, 50. That's the impression I get, but I have no idea what Aiken's going to do. None. Obviously he's got a lot of physical issues going on, but I would just not expect anyone to come back and be pleasantly surprised if they do. I talked to Andre Spinoza Hunter last week uh, from the women's team, and she had the same kind of sentiments in terms of how difficult it's been. Uh, for, first off, transferring to a new university now, but also doing it during a pandemic and what their schedule's been like. So I feel for these players because they're not able to live their lives like they normally right. would. And it, well, it let me let me clarify them. that and say because you mentioned women's basketball, there's probably a better chance that that the women will, seniors will come back, and other sports, you know, baseball seniors and. Uh, if they have, well, I don't know, baseball is playing a full season, but it's a bad example. But, um, you know, swimming or whatever the other sports were that got an extra season, an extra year uh, of eligibility, there's a better chance they'll come back. I mentioned basketball, men's basketball, because these players have a chance to make money playing the sport, like make a living playing the sport. There's a lot of opportunity to do that. And that's why you might see a lot of them leave. I don't know. I can see other, other sports, more athletes coming back. 
I think that's very fair. I I think a lot of them will move on with their lives, but maybe, maybe 50% will come back in other sports will be far less than that in men's basketball. And you know, and that's still a lot of players, if that amount of players come back. So, and looking at really this team, there's a long way to go, but if the team doesn't make the NCAA tournament, they're likely going to be headed to the NIT, which is going to be shortened this year. At that point, would coach Willard and the team decide to opt out? You think, because is it worth to keep these guys in this type of rigid, like rigid schedule if they don't need to be? Knowing, knowing Willard, he'll let the players make that decision. So I, I couldn't answer that for you. you know, I, don't, I don't know what their mindset is on that. The NIT is not something you talk about with any team before the NIT. That's like an unwritten rule of covering a team. Yep. So if it comes to that, I'm sure Kevin will let the players make that decision. I couldn't see Kevin or the school standing in their way if they wanted to do it. But I don't, I don't know what their mindset is on that. As we come to a close, uh, Coach Kevin Willard, I think the work that he and also Coach Bazella, what the two of them have had to do with their staff, their programs, the university, to really do, deal with everything going on, I don't think they get enough credit for that. And not just them, but coaches in general, what they're doing to keep their players safe. What do you make of what Coach Willard has done this season? And, you know, is there concern that he might get a job offer somewhere else for a better opportunity because of the kind of production work that he's done over the last 10 years at Seen Hall? I just want to say, first of all, it's very hard to evaluate coaches this year because of all the challenges they've had, very unusual challenges they've had, dealing with the pandemic, with the players' mental health, uh, you know, with the safety factors, um, the irregular scheduling. It's been an exceptionally hard year on all these coaches and the players too. Really, the players first because this is – they're amateurs. This is you know, very difficult for them at what they've been asked to do. So it's very hard to evaluate you don't know what's going on behind the scenes mental health-wise with individuals and teams uh, who have been living in isolation for a long time. Uh, Kevin has done, and, and Tony have done, have had incredible careers at Seton Hall. They have been top three coaches in the programs, their program's history. Um, and they've made these programs relevant where they were irrelevant. And they've done it with really likable players who've represented this the university great so career-wise I don't see how anybody could criticize what either of them have accomplished you know Tony has obviously the women's team overachieved this year I know they lost a quarterfinal game in the Big East tournament they've overachieved based on the preseason expectations and the challenges they've had with the Tony getting sick and the team pausing three times um you know Kevin they were picked fifth they finished tied for fourth, fifth seed. We thought without Aiken, they'd be an NIT team. That's probably what's going to happen. They've hardly had Aiken. It's just the way that it's happened that's frustrating people. Like the way this team has played poorly over a stretch of a month now is frustrating people. And Kevin takes the hit for that this year. I mean, that's that's part of being a head coach, you know? So to me, criticism of Kevin, Kevin's because of his team's performance this year is in bounds. It's valid. Criticism of Kevin's tenure because of the team's performance over the last month is nuts. It's nuts. We have to be able to separate the two things. So you ask me, is Kevin going to get another job? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think he's going to coach at Seton Hall forever. Um, you know, that doesn't happen hardly anymore in, in, in college sports. 11 years, a long tenure here. PJ was here for 12 and it seemed like PJ was here for a lifetime. You know, I was your age when PJ was, was, was the coach a little younger than you. So, uh, I wouldn't expect Kevin to be here forever. I think he'll, he'll take the right job if it comes. What that job is, that's up to him. 
uh, and you know his agent and his family to decide. But uh, you know, there's going to come a point where he's going to leave, and then to me, when that time comes, first of all, people should appreciate what he's built here, and the way the program is in a much better place than where he found it. Much better. It was a dumpster fire when he got here. It's it's relevant now. And the second thing is, to me, it's when he leaves, this coaching search should take 10 seconds. Shaheen, are you ready to come home? That's the phone call when that time comes. But we can talk about that at another time. But right now, um, all I'll say is criticism of Kevin's the season they're having is valid. Kevin, of his career, is overboard. And I hope people will, will use nuance when assessing those things. Well said, Jerry. And finally, I know you're a busy man. Is there any exciting things that you want to share with fans of the team that you personally should be looking out for in the coming weeks? Is there any kind of good projects you're working on or articles you think you're hoping to yeah, get out so there? I, I talked to, I talked to Anthony Avon and Oliver Taylor. Uh, I'm writing something about the 1991 Big East championship team 30th anniversary that's coming out this week. So that should be a lot of fun. Keep an eye out for that. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, we'll see, I have, I have a little Big East predictions, and then we'll have to see what the team does. But I got at least, like I said, one more fun story coming on Tuesday. This has been Jerry Carino, one of the most honest and objective reporters you will find covering Seton Hall basketball and the New Jersey basketball as a whole. You can follow Jerry on Twitter at NJ Hoops Haven and see his work as a columnist for the Asbury Park Press in Gannett, New Jersey. And Jerry, I want to just let you know before I uh, say goodbye to you that your podcast last year is actually the reason why I started this podcast. Uh, I I was very much, uh, I I have still very much enjoyed listening to your podcast when it's on. And I just want to say thank you for that because leaving the sports industry, I wanted something to fill the void and uh, you kind of inspired me to do that. So I really much appreciate it. Thanks. You're Um, a natural. You're a natural. (laughs) Keep, Keep doing what you're doing. You're light years ahead of where I was at your age. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for being a guest this week on Courtside Pirates and hope you and your family continue to stay safe. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you again to the fantastic and Seton Hall's very own Jerry Carino for joining me on Courtside Pirates. The Pirates have a lot of work to do and will need some help to return to the NCAA tournament. But as many Mets fans will tell you, you gotta believe. The next episode will go live on Monday, March 15th, following the conclusion of the Big East Tournament and Selection Sunday. Again, my name is Chris Pazes. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Courtside Pirates.